Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we are in the last week of a series that we've simply called Lightweight. Because most of the time, waiting is heavy. Waiting is arduous. Waiting is not easy. It's not light. But for us as children of God, waiting should not be difficult. It should not suck all the fun out of life. But if you'll find, then you look at your life, you'll find that anytime patience is low, joy and happiness and and contentment is, is low. But when our patience increases, then all of a sudden the quality of life increases with it. And so we've been looking at this concept. So if you've got your Uversion app open, you've got the bulletin we handed you on the way in, you can track through the notes with us right here. And we've looked at this concept over and over and again in this series, that the power of patience lets us enjoy life as God works in and through us. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly, okay? Then so, and that's the life within us. The life within us should be stronger than the life around us, Okay? And so many times life around us begins to squelch the life in us. And all of a sudden circumstances and happenings and all that kind of stuff begin to really, really try our patience and suck the joy out of life and make things a lot more difficult than they probably could or should be. And so God wants us to be able to, to, be able to get the maximum out of life. He gave us life and life more abundantly. And if we'll learn to trust God and live and walk in patience. We'll see our quality of life go up without anything else changing. Without getting a new job, without all of a sudden our spouse all of a sudden being more caring and considerate, without other people being patient, when our patience level goes up, the quality of life goes up. If we'll just let this fruit of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is trying to grow in our lives grow, it'll change things. We've looked at this passage of scripture multiple times. Uh, James 1, uh, 4 says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Patience is at work. Patience is a fruit that bears fruit. It's this thing that it's not just the end result. So many times we, we may think that we need to be patient just so that we can check off the box. I was patient. And know that patience produces something. Patience carries other fruit with it. It is one of the fruit of the Spirit, what God grows in our lives. But it's for a purpose. And if we don't remember that, then we will let ourselves reach the end of our patience. Because all of us feel like that maybe we kind of have a right to be at the end and and done. And we kind of have a right that, okay, I've been patient enough. And now I don't have to be patient anymore. That I, I, there's this a certain amount that I can dole out that society and God is like, I'm pretty cool with it. You tried. You were patient enough. Good attempt. Now you don't have to be patient anymore. And then and when we hit that snapping point, that's when all of a sudden things just go off the rails. The things that would normally happen all of a sudden happen and things escalate and get sideways when our patience gets, gets chunked out the window. Now, my mom is a, is a patient woman. 
and she uh, had to, to, to raise me and my, my sisters and, and just deal with life. And my mom, in general, is a patient person. And so, but um, she let us know growing up that, that there were limits. Now, growing up without a generation who had had Facebook and all this kind of stuff, we learned about our parents by them telling us stories. And so we know about stories. My kids, their children are going to be able to relive their lives. If Instagram and Facebook don't go anywhere, my grandchildren will be able to pull it up and go, Wow, Dad, you were a dork. Look at this. <laughs> Kiki, do you love me? to see it and be (laughs) and be able to see exactly and relive the moments and know and uh but like I I didn't get that you know there was a handful of pictures from them growing up and everything's real posed hardly anything candid you know standing in front of somebody or something important you know, or they got everybody piled in the picture because they were few and far between. And, and so there were these stories. And, of course, the stories are curated. They only tell the stories they want to tell. And, and so, so my mom um, would tell the story. And I'm pretty sure she was doing it more as a warning to us kids that she does have a limit. And we better not push her. And so my mom is uh, eight years older than her youngest, or than her only sister, her baby sister, um, Aunt Darla. If you're watching, um, we uh, we love you. And so, uh, but my mom and my aunt Darla were eight years apart and shared a bedroom. Well, my mom was 16 at this time, had an eight-year-old little sister. Very different phase of life. Very different things happening. And so. It's nighttime, and for some reason, my Aunt Darla needed uh, something to eat in going to sleep. And so, and I've never heard of this phrase. Maybe your family ate these. The only time I've ever heard this is when my mom would tell the story. Um, but my aunt needed a jelly bread sandwich. Uh, I've never heard of a jelly bread sandwich other than this. Um, they don't call them ham bread sandwiches or bologna bread sandwiches. It's just a sandwich. But apparently this was a piece of bread with some jelly in it. And so, and it was a jelly bread sandwich. And she would have this little snack and they're laying there in the dark and trying to go to sleep. Well, mom was trying to go to sleep and my, my aunt at eight years old is eating this white bread with jelly and sticky stuff and is smacking. And some of you, it's driving you up the wall hearing that smacking noise. And so my mom... In the dark, tells my Aunt Darla, um, stop smacking. I can't go to sleep. Stop smacking. And she's, of course, my aunt. If you know my aunt, Aunt Darla, you know this is true. Um, that's just like throwing a match on gasoline. It's like challenge accepted. All I'm going to do now is smack. And so she just was smack, smack, smack all the more. So my mom was being patient and finally told her, if you smack one more time, I'm going to shove that jelly bread sandwich down your throat. Well, Darla smacked one more time. 
And uh, my mom uh, moved across the room, leaped like a puma, <laughs> landed, p- pinned my aunt down, held her down, and shoved the jelly bread sandwich <laughs> in her mouth when she tried to scream. So she like packed it at the back <laughs> where she couldn't scream. And apparently, my mom caught me between services and let me know that my grandmother comes and hears the commotion, turns the light on, and sees her teenager on top and just like in the act of murdering her youngest child. And so, uh, you know, so my mom would tell us this to let us know um, that when she says don't smack, she means it. Um, you, you, better, you better pull it together. She does have her limits. And so... When that we find ourselves, so many times when patience runs out, when we're just, we're done, we feel like we've been patient enough that all of a sudden we can find ourselves acting in ways and stepping into things and being people when that patience is gone that it's not our normal. And sometimes when we lose patience, we can lose patience with, especially with the people we love the most and we've been so patient and then we, patience, we feel like we've been patient enough and And now all of a sudden we say something that's a little out of character. We say something that's a little too cutting. All of a sudden we say something and it's words we can't take back. We get upset and we snap. And we do something we we wouldn't never dream of doing in another situation. But we got pushed and pushed and pushed. And all of a sudden the patience was gone. And all of a sudden it wreaks havoc in our lives. That folks, patience is one of those things that you and I have to have to live out the life that God has called us to live. We have to have it. It's not optional. It's not cute. It's not something that, okay, wow, aren't they wonderful? Aren't they patient? It's, it's fine if they're not. But no, it's one of these things we have to have patience in our life. Patience is essential in God's plan for us. It is essential. You and I, we can't move forward. In fact, patience is essential for God and His plan. He's not asking of us for something that He doesn't do Himself. God is incredibly, wonderfully patient. Let's look at 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. Some of you are hanging on to some of the promises of God, and it feels like He is slow. God, you move too slow. This is taking too long. Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. We think we understand the way things ought to go, and it doesn't go that way, and we're like, oh, come on, Lord, do something here. It says, instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting our lives to come apart at the seams, not wanting anything to, to, for the death process to be fully realized. Folks, the reason that sin is unhealthy for us is because it's destructive. Yeah. He doesn't want us to do these things because they're destructive. It's hurtful. And He loves us and He only wants good for us. He doesn't want us to perish in any way. But He wants everyone to come to repentance. Now folks, remember repentance means to change your mind. That's what repentance means in the Greek. It means to change your mind, to change the way you think. So many times we think repentance is all of the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I tell you what, some of you have been in some relationships where somebody's real good at saying I'm sorry. 
but there's no change in the way they think or change in the way they react or change in the way they do anything. So all of a sudden, sorry becomes hollow and useless because there was no repentance. There was no changing in the way they think and therefore the way they choose and the way they respond. The Holy Spirit wants to change the way we think and therefore the way we choose and therefore the way we respond. That changes our lives when real repentance comes in and God's patient with us to get us to that place. Well, what is he being patient with? He's being patient with us being stubborn. He's being patient with us making unhealthy decisions. He's being patient with us being hurtful towards ourselves and one another. He's being patient with it as his kindness and goodness is at work, working to change the way we think. He is at work, and he's being patient. He's being patient with you, and he's patient with me, and patient with all the people on the planet. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's writing to a church that he helped start and plant. Some people that he helped raise up and get them going in their relationship with God. And he's having to write to them to help give some coaching and some direction. And he's letting them know right at the beginning, chapter 1, right at the beginning, that I'm thankful every time I think about you because I know God is still at work in you. He's not done. You're not complete yet. You're still kind of frustrating. You still do some things wrong. You're still kind of messed up and jacked up. But when I think of you, I don't think of those things. I am thankful and I have joy because I know God is still at work. He's still at work. He's still doing stuff. It's making a difference. And Paul has that. It's what changes everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which was all sorts of wackadoo and, and messed up at times. And writing to the Corinthian believers. And begins to describe love. And the first word, the very first word to describe what real love looks like. Is love is patient. And love is kind. It does not envy, doesn't boast, it is not proud, and it continues to describe it as we move forward. And but the very first thing is, is love is patient. Folks, for us to be able to express any kind of love, we're gonna have to be patient with each other. We're gonna have to be patient. Because if we take patience out of the equation, let, let's go to the next one. Let's say, ah, let's not worry about the love is patient part. Let's look at the next piece. Love is kind. You take patience out of the equation and kindness is almost impossible. It's just almost impossible. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Aren't you most unkind once you've lost patience? You're most unkind once patience is out the window. All of a sudden, everything was rolling. You were pretty nice. You were dealing with things all right. And then all of a sudden, I smacked one too many times. It's jelly bread sandwich down the throat time. 
I've lost patience, and here comes the unkindness. It just happens. It happens. We have to have patience. God has patience with us. We need to be patient with one another. Because, folks, the truth is, is patience enables us to keep our joy no matter what happens. No matter what happens. Because life is going to happen. You're going to have plans, and then things are going to go sideways, and then all of a sudden that's when everything gets chunked out the window. Like, I had a plan. I was going to do this, and then this, and then this, and then, man, and that thing was going to go just right. And you take your first little step to execute your plan, and things get all messed up and jacked up, and then, boop, patience is out the window, joy's out the window, forget this mess, I'm done. I took this past week off, um, and took a vacation week, and didn't go anywhere, uh, and used it to, to work on my house. And so there were some projects that had been neglected for a while, and so needed some extensive time. So I worked on my house, and did fix some roof leaks, praise God, and so, and um, took care of some stuff that needed to be uh, taken care of. But I had a plan. I had a hit list of what I wanted to get done. I had a whole week of work. And I was like, I'm going to accomplish this and this and this and this. And man, especially as I began to deal with some of the things that needed to be repaired. Well, man, what looked like it needed to be repaired this much, all of a sudden needed to be repaired this much. And it took a lot more time and a lot more effort and a lot more invasive and all of these different things. And then that got in the way of some other project that I wanted to be able to tackle and get done. And the shed is not organized. And there's a number of things that did not get dealt with. And, and so, and all of a sudden, as I would get into dealing with something that was good, that wasn't on my plan, I would feel myself begin to get irritated and begin to get frustrated and begin to get mad because it was wrecking my plan. It was wrecking it. And I begin to get upset about it. And so, man, I sit there and I just begin to, to, just, to just pray and, get, and go, God, what is up? This is not what was supposed to be happening. And, man, and God would just begin to, to show me how needful it was, how good it was that these certain things were getting taken care of that could have created. My shed can get organized anytime. That roof leak, man, that was important. That was important. That needed to get dealt with. And so I was, and all of a sudden, man, I began to change the way I looked at things. And, and I had a week of working on my house, and it was relaxing. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time. I did it. It was actually a real vacation for me of being able to get this stuff done. But had I got fixated on my plan, it would have just been nothing but one frustrating thing after another and so many times so many of you have just decided to quit planning to quit dreaming to quit having things you wanted to do and pursue because every time you start to get some traction all of a sudden the wheels come off and you're like forget it i'm done i'm done with this because every time i start and every time i get a little bit down the road on it and the plan doesn't work, and I'm just, it guts me, and I just can't deal with the disappointment anymore. So guess what? I'll just get up in the morning, and I will just deal with the crud as it comes to me, because it's going to be crud, and I'll deal with it one shovel full at a time. And folks, that is not 
the life God has called you to live. God has called you to live a life looking at his promises, looking at the the good that he has in store for you, grabbing a hold of those things and taking steps forward. And yes, yes, plans can be frustrating. Plans aren't bad. Psalms talks about that that the plans... Plans, man plans his way, but God orders his steps. So many times it just takes us having some sort of a plan to get the guts to take a step, and then God begins to order the steps. And we're like, I was going to go that way, but God's leading me in another path. He's taking me back in this direction, but I could have never gone anywhere if I had not taken a step. We need to take the steps and let God do it. But I'm telling you, so many times you can just, it feels like you've worked it, you've been patient. And then right at the last moment, things went sideways. Years ago, we went out of, uh, out of town in 2007. And, and uh, we had uh, gone, made a trip to Amarillo, QD9, the oldest five kids. Colleen and Pressy weren't along yet. And uh, so go to Amarillo and and uh, checking out some, some stuff there and spend the weekend in Amarillo. And while we were there, the hotel we were staying in had the little continental breakfast thing. And, and they had these uh, Otis Spunkmeyer chocolate, chocolate chip muffins. So it's chocolate inside of chocolate. I mean, it's like my wife's absolute favorite. The chocolate that makes me go like that because it's so chocolatey. She, she loves that stuff. And... Um, so we have the breakfast thing, and there's one of those in the little package, and she grabs the muffin, takes it with us, has the little to-go muffin after breakfast, because she wants a chocolate chocolate chip muffin later. Get in the Suburban, sticks it on the console, and we drive around, enjoy our day, piddle around Amarillo. Finally, we have to head back, and head back to Angelo. We're driving down the road, and she leaves it there for all day, leaves it for the first jog, so come out of Amarillo and coming back south and stays, muffin stays there, waiting, patient, going to enjoy the muffin, drive along. Finally, we get to Big Spring, hasn't touched the muffin, still sitting there. Somewhere between Big Spring and uh, Sterling City, uh, she decides it is now time to enjoy the muffin. She has waited. She has been patient. She's hungry for this muffin. She opens the cellophane, and oldest five kids are in the back of the Suburban doing their thing. I'm not exactly sure what came over me. Um, And so, um, but I see her opening the muffin, and I decided that I thought I was going to do something that was really, really funny. And so I roll the window down. And so I'm rolling the wind and down, we're cruising down the highway, 70, 75 miles an hour, something like that. And um, she opens the muffin, has the muffin, peels the little paper part of the muffin back. She's been waiting patiently on the muffin and holds it up, just about to take a bite. And I go, bam! And I grab the muffin and I chunk it out the window at 70 miles an hour, and I laughed so hard. Hey, folks, it's not the only muffin in the world. 
We were going to the place that had a town and country. I could buy another muffin. Come on, it's just 15 miles. It was funny. And so I am laughing. I'm like, this is a great prank. This is so funny. I punked you. This is awesome. And she's just sitting there looking at her empty hand. And I could see the wheels rolling. And she is plotting the level of retribution she's going to give me. And she's like, am I going to just beat him down while he drives? The car has airbags. The kids are buckled. We'll make it. <laughs> or is she going to get me to pull over and grab the tire iron and give me a good old West Texas whooping? And, uh, and so she's just sitting there. I'm like, I'm waiting for all of the kids to join with me in the laughter. And there I look in the rearview mirror, and they are petrified. <laughs> like, Dad has lost his mind. If you know my wife at all, you know the fear my children had. You don't mess with my wife. You don't mess with my wife's chocolate. And they were just like, Dad, you're stupid. And so I'm the only one laughing. My kids are afraid they're going to lose both parents. One's going to die. One's going to be in the pen. It's a country song over a muffin. It's terrible. <laughs> and uh, anyways, but so many times, so many times we're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk in patience. I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk in patience. And there's this thing that maybe you want and like, you know what? It's not time. It's not time. It's not time. And you know what? I'm going to sit there and I'm going to walk in patience and I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be patient. I'm going I'm I'm to do this right. And then all of a sudden, right when it was like right there, then all of a sudden some jerk, life, stuff happens and just rips it right out of your hands. And so many times we hit that and we do that one time and you're like, okay, that's a fluke. But that woman has never eaten a muffin in the front seat ever again. And so many times we can do that. We can go, you know what? Forget this. I tried patience. I tried doing it. I'm done. I'm going to the old system. I'm going to the old way that I'm going to take care of me. That system worked. It was frustrating, and I had to look over my back, and I had to take care of myself. But, man, I tried the patience thing, and I got taken advantage of. I tried to be patient, and, and it, just, it just blew up in my face. I tried to do it right, and it just didn't work, and so I'm done with it. I'm done with patience, and I'm just going to roll with however life rolls, and I'm not going to do this anymore. Paul speaks to this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So many times we get so focused on all the stuff of life. And he says, don't lose heart. Why does he have to tell us not to lose heart? Because there are times that if we don't watch it, we'll lose heart. 
We tried the patience thing. We tried the kind thing. We tried the going the extra mile thing. And it blew up in our face. And I'm done with it. I'm done with it. Philippians 4.11, Paul writes, For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content. He had to learn it. It didn't come naturally. I wish we could get the download, the old matrix, and get it. And have it. But we have to learn to be content. This, and not be batted around that the, that the highs are, you, you get up in a high place in life and then you're afraid you're going to lose it. You get in a low place in life and you're afraid you're never going to have another good moment in life. That's where depression sets in. You're like, this is just what it is and it's never going to get any better. And it's not true. It is not true. God has great plans and great things in store for us. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. To be able to discern means it's not necessarily overtly clear. It's not like, oh, that's obvious. To discern requires being able to, to cut through the haze and be able to see where the truth, where the good and the life lies. So, so you'll be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what do we happen? I mean, what do we do when this mess happens? When we've done the patience thing, we've done all of this stuff and it just seems to have blown up in our face. I'm here to tell you that God can work in the middle of some of the ugliest messes ever. And we need to let God open and help to discern and to discover new opportunities that lie in the waiting. Sometimes in the waiting, there's these wonderful moments that are, exist in the waiting. Let's look at Philippians 1, verse 12. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So what happened to Paul? He's writing this book of Philippians from jail. He's writing it from jail. He's not writing it from a hammock. He's not writing it from kickback and in some place of luxury. He's in jail. He's in chains. And you will see joy and rejoice in all of these different things all through the scriptures. And some of you have had some really ugly, messed up, horrible things happen in your life. We learn some of the most about joy and, and being able to trust God from Paul. And Paul is right up there with bad days. You look at his life and he, how many times he got beaten, how many times he got left for dead, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times things went his way. He would tell people, this is going to end bad, and they wouldn't listen to him, and then it would end bad. And man, he kept trusting God anyways, and he kept moving forward anyways. And, and here is his take while he is in jail, after he has suffered, been beaten, had lost all sorts of things. This is his perspective. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. 
It's become clear. I'm not a criminal. I didn't rob anybody. I didn't murder anybody. I'm not some sort of rebel. I'm not in here for a crime. I'm in here because I have stood and proclaimed the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. That that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. That's why I'm in change and it's apparent to everybody. And because of my change, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word more courageously and fearlessly. They tried to shut Paul up. But look what happens. More mouths open. The brothers began to speak more boldly and courageously and fearlessly. And all of a sudden he sees the ramifications that even out of his own mess, good stuff is coming. In 2005, there was a a man named William who had lost his house to bankruptcy. He'd almost destroyed and lost his family through some really really poor decisions on his, of him and uh, almost ruined his marriage. He had to move into a 900 square foot apartment. Um, he had six kids. They were, um, two had already graduated, moved out. And so it was him and his wife and four children in a 900 square foot apartment. And he was having to work three jobs to keep the roof over his head and food in the bellies of his children. And he didn't have a car and had to commute to work, ride, ride a train uh, 40 miles in, 40 miles back, 40 miles in, 40 miles back. And holidays were coming, and he wanted to be able to give his children something. And, and his wife, they didn't, weren't going to have the money, and his wife said, why don't you write? Um, you're pretty good with words, and why don't you, why don't you write? And you've got some, some pretty interesting ideas on how God is with us and we should interact with God and won't you put that down and, and give that to him and so he does on the 40 miles in 40 miles back 40 miles in 40 miles back and he writes and over a period of time he finishes his book and and gives it to his kids and has it printed spiral bound it wasn't meant to be published and he gives it to his children and it blesses them and somebody gets a hold Of that book that was simply a gift of him taking an opportunity in an ugly moment, having lost everything and having to work three jobs and 40 miles in and 40 miles back. And he writes this book that was meant to be read and enjoyed by a handful of people and his family. Somebody gets a copy of that spiral bound book and says, wow, this is this is pretty amazing. And ends up in the hands of an editor, William Paul Young having written The Shack. If you've watched, read the book or watched the movie, they eventually made it to a movie. Wrote that book on a 40-mile journey, 40 miles in, 40 miles back, at one of the lowest points of his life, simply as a way to give something to his children, never expecting it to be published, never expecting it to go anywhere. As of now, there have been 20 million copies of that expression of the love and grace and healing power of God that have been read and distributed around the world. So many times there's an opportunity that lies in the waiting. As we close down this morning, I want us to understand that joy in the process comes when we focus on what really matters. Philippians 1, says it's, verse 15, it says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so <clears throat> in love, knowing that 
I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And let us always remember Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. If you read the context of this passage of Scripture in Jeremiah, they were going to have to do some waiting. They were going to continue to be in a place that they didn't like for another 75 years. And he gives them, not, he gives them uh, coaching, and he says, go ahead, have families, plant vineyards, do things while you're there. But know that I've got a plan and I've got a hope for you. The bottom line, folks, is that every promise, prophecy, and plan requires patience. It requires it. Folks, the fruit of the Spirit is the ultimate fulfillment of on earth as it is in heaven. And let's choose to allow heaven's patience to grow and to develop in our lives. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.